Thank you. To the uh, youth worship team, let's give them a hand. Just uh, They worked really hard, and they're doing it for the Lord, but we just want to acknowledge the effort they put in and just that they're, you know, it's so good to see kind of them growing up in the ranks and getting on stage and serving that way. It's the final Wednesday night. Next, of course, we, we were going to go the first, but like kids are going back to school. It's getting colder. Life is happening. Holidays are over. So we're like, let's get back into the uh, Sunday mode. And so you're always welcome to join us again on a Sunday here. And of course, the fifth will be at 10 a.m. But then following Sundays, we'll have two services, 9 11. And you're always welcome to join us no matter where you're at. Like, I'm, I'm not into church, or I'm just, I'm not sure what I think about organized religion. That's okay. You're always welcome at New Life. You can ask questions. We're, we just invite you to join us in your journey, your spiritual journey. That, that, that's always fine. Uh, as I thought about tonight in first responders, I just, this incident came to my mind when I was um, a young teenager, probably grade nine or 10. And some kid in school had shown up with a bunch of firecrackers. And so I bought some firecrackers off this guy uh, that was, you know, dealing in contraband. And, and then me and my buddy were walking downtown, uh, kind of near the, near the wharf in Salmon Arm. Some of you have been there, you know there's a wharf and there's kind of a road next to the wharf for railroad tracks. And, and we were lighting off firecrackers. It was far enough away from my parents' house. They didn't know what I was doing. And we were making noise. We were having a good time. And then we were walking down Lakeshore Avenue and this cop car pulled up. And we were going to be like, you know, just steal resolve, pretend nothing was happening. And we're, I'm just like, hey, I'm telling my buddy, okay, just, just cool it. We'll, we'll, we'll be okay here. And, and the police officer gets out of the car and, and my friend Devin looks at him. He says, we weren't showing off no firecrackers. You know? <laughs> and uh, so we emptied our pockets. I, I, don't, I think he even sat us in the car, <laughs> took our names and our phone numbers. And we're like, oh, no, you know, this is... Uh, this is it, but uh, nothing ever came out of it except that I never did that again, you know. So it was that was my uh, my adventure into criminal activity as a teenager. Not as bad as or as uh, glorious as other stories I've heard from pastors preach, but it, it's it's my story anyway. <laughs> Thankful for that intervention. Now I, I just wish that that's the worst thing that cops had to deal with. But I could have been, you know, involving the fire department of Salmon Arm and the RCMP and others with, you know, I could have blown off my own hands, could need a paramedics. I mean, I'm thankful for that intervention in my life. But the Gospel of Matthew records an intervention that a local police officer had with Jesus. One of those good news encounters. It occurs in the city of Capernaum, which was kind of a major city in Galilee. It was the trade center. There was a tax collection booth there and a centurion with a hundred soldiers stationed in Capernaum. Jesus had been working the area, teaching and also performing miracles, casting out demons. And then he goes up the mountain and he, and he preaches a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. You maybe heard about it. Got some great ethical principles. It's kind of the kingdom manifesto. Uh, even people that aren't Christians or into Christianity like the Sermon on the Mount. There's some really heavy, deep stuff there. But as Jesus comes down the mountain, he's coming towards Capernaum, he encounters some situations. The, the end of the sermon, basically, people are like, wow, he teaches with authority. Like, he's got the power. Some power that we've never seen before. And as he's coming down the mountain, he encounters this, this leper. Now, 
Leprosy in, in the first century was, was, a, was a horrible disease. It still is a horrible disease today, but we've almost eradicated it. But back then it was awful. And, and if you were a Jew, it was even worse because there was all sorts of ceremonial separation for lepers. But it was the same all over the, the Roman Empire. Like lepers had to live amongst themselves, avoid other people. But this leper comes down and, and encounters Jesus. He's like, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And he touches, he touches the leper. And he's cleansed. And then as he enters Capernaum, he encounters the local police officer. It's in your little bulletin there if you want to follow along. You don't have to. But it says in Matthew 8 that when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Luke tells us that this guy was actually a good cop. He had a good reputation in the community. He, in fact, had helped the Jews to build their synagogue. He was, you know, he was kind of a partnership, and that's what most RCMP, I mean, all, all of them, like, they want to partner. They want to be supportive. They, they, they are in, embedded within our community, and we appreciate them. And it was the same with this man. Not all Roman centurions were like that especially in the Jewish territories of the first century in Rome. I mean, the Jews did not like the Romans. There was an antagonism. Uh, you know, there was a nationalistic fervor amongst the Jews. And so oftentimes there was a lot of, of conflict. But this guy wasn't like that. He was a man of peace and it helped the Jews. But now he had a problem. He had this servant that he loved that was ill, terribly ill. All of the resources at his disposal within the Roman Empire could not help him in this situation with his servant. And he comes to Jesus looking for help. Now, it's surprising, too, because in the first century, slaves were like cows or chickens, something you owned, a car. You know, like you, you bought them, you sold them, you traded them. I mean, that's the way most Romans, if you read the literature of the first century, it's like, well, you got a sick slave, sell them, you know, get rid of them while you still can get some money out of them, you know. But, but this guy's different. He loves this servant. And he comes to Jesus looking for help because he's heard the stories. Jesus has healed other people. He's cast out demons. He's done this stuff. And so this Roman centurion, this Roman this police officer comes to Jesus looking for help. It says in verse 7 of Matthew 8, Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Okay, I got it. It, it could be translated as a question, you want me to come and heal him? Or it could just be translated like it is, I will come and heal him. Luke tells us that this exchange actually occurred not in, in person, but through messengers sent back and forth. The question is, though, is Jesus really going to, as a Jew, we understand Jesus is Jewish, he's there to, to bring, uh, he's to lead the Jewish people into the, the kingdom of God, and so there, that's his mandate, that's his mission, he's there to, to save the people of faith from, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and, and this, this Roman centurion, unless he becomes a convert to Judaism, is really on the outside, but Jesus is like, I'm going to go to your house, and I'll, I'll look after this, and, and it, it presents an awkward social situation, because no pious Jewish person went into a Gentile house. I mean, let me tell you, I was just in Israel a couple years ago, and we were in Nazareth, and we went to this, like, working kind of farm, and it was sort of like 
first century Nazareth, right? And this guy was, was showing us around and, and we were having a great time. But when it came time for us to eat, he would not eat with us. Because it's still like that today. It was like, no, you're, you're a Gentile, I'm a Jew. I, I can, I, you know, we, this is a business transaction. But when it comes to, to sitting down at a meal, that's you're off limits for, for me. But here's Jesus saying, I will go to your house. I'll look after it. Actually, did you notice though, he didn't even ask Jesus to heal him. He just said, my servant's sick. And Jesus says, okay, I, I can help you with that. That's what he, I think he hoped would happen. He doesn't make demands of Jesus, but he knows that Jesus is capable of doing this. But having heard that Jesus is coming, he's a little bit set off because he's like, no, like, Jesus can't come to my house. I know what that will do for him and his, and his followers and all of his associations, and, and I'm not ready to have Jesus come to my house. I don't need to have Jesus come to my house. He says in verse 8, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Not worthy. This emissary of the Roman Empire, a man who had responsibility in the city, who, who could arrest people, throw them in prison, and you know, beat them. I mean, he, he had all this power, but he says, I'm not worthy to have this Jewish rabbi walk into my house. I'm not worthy. It's this humility, this humbleness of this man, this police officer, this Roman centurion in, in the face of, of Jesus. And he, and he says to Jesus, just say the word. Just say the word. Like, really? Like, let's be honest. If that's your kid or my kid, your buddy, your friend, your beloved employee, whatever it is. I mean, you kind of want to have them come to your place to lay hands on and do something else, to do the hokey pokey and, and turn it all around. I mean, you want to see something, some action to, to kind of come with the, the healing. But, but he's like, no, 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 you don't need to come here. Just say the word. And, and of course, maybe you've read this story. Maybe you've heard this story before. Like, oh yeah, whatever. But you got to understand. Like, it's unnatural to just, to, to do something from a, distance like this. I mean, don't you want him there? I mean, Jesus has been there. He's been doing this hands-on stuff, and now he's like, no, I don't need the hands-on. I don't need you to come into my house. I just need you to say the word. How is it that the Roman centurion gets this? You see, the Bible at the beginning, the very first book says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it said, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And then God said, I mean, this is how the whole Bible starts, is with God speaking things into existence. And this centurion, this Roman, this pagan, this foreigner, says to Jesus, just say it, Jesus, and it's done. He says, just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers. I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. I mean, our first responders understand that there's a chain of command. Someone takes charge of a scene, 
and everyone else needs to respond to whoever is the commanding officer, the person in charge at that scene, whether it be medical, fire, police, there's always someone who's in charge and the, the orders come from the top down. And this Roman centurion got this. He's like, I get it. When I'm told to do something, I do. When I tell a, a soldier to do it, he does it. This is the way it works. Up and down the chain. And because you are who you are, all you have to do is say it, and I know it will be done. And it's, it's, it's astounding. It says in verse 10 that when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. I mean, Jesus is God. For him to be amazed, I mean, it should startle us, but I think he's just surprised because as he's taught the Sermon on the Mount, as he's begun his ministry and all these things, he's expecting the Jews, the religious people, the Sunday school people, all the people that grew up in faith to, to be moving towards faith. But, but, but this guy from a foreign background embedded into the Roman Empire has this astounding faith. He says, I tell you the truth, I haven't, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. I haven't seen anyone like this. And notice, faith is tied to this idea of authority and submission to authority. And this guy says, look, I understand that you are, are connected to the highest authority, so if you say it, it's done. Just like I'm connected to the Roman Empire, and so I have the power of, 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 of you know, keeping the peace here in Capernaum and, and behind me are, are armies ready to come in and clean house if necessary. But you have even greater resources at your disposal. Just say the word. And Jesus is like, I have not seen faith like this anywhere in all these Sunday school people and people that grew up in the, you know, in the synagogues and studied the word, memorized verses, all this stuff. But you get it. You get it. Jesus offers this somber statement. I tell you this, that many Gentiles, that's non-Jews, will come from all over the world, from east and west, sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, that's a, it's a pretty vivid picture that Jesus is painting there. But what he's saying is to the centurion, Someday we're going to be sitting at that table together. That even though you didn't grow up going to synagogue school like the rest of these people, you're going to be there because you have faith in me. And not just you, but, but men and women from all over the world outside of the, the small epicenter of Israel, they're going to be coming into that feast. Because why? The entrance into the feast comes by faith. And this man demonstrated great faith in Jesus, because he believed Jesus could do a miracle like that just by speaking it. He believed in who Jesus was and what he was able to do. And that's, that's faith. Faith, sometimes people think of faith as just some, some intellectual exercise. I, I, you know, our church has a statement of faith. That's a, a, you know, a documentation of our beliefs, what we think is true. But, but faith in, in the New Testament is much more active than that. This man, who had no Sunday school training, but saw Jesus, recognized in Jesus some great authority and power and ability, and says, if you say it, it'll be done, Jesus. And Jesus is like, wow, this is faith. This guy knows who I am. In his primitive, preschool-ish way, he gets who I am. I'm, I'm, 
I'm God's son, and I, I do have the capacity to speak life because I, I created this world. And yes, I, I can reverse the sickness and demonization, and I, I can handle all these situations. Why? Because I'm the Lord of life. He's like, man, you know what? People are going to show up and say, well, I, you know, I was baptized as a baby, and I you know, took this catechism, and I, I went to church, and I did camp, and I maybe even said a prayer at something, and, but, 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 but they never, ever followed Jesus. This man's willing to follow Jesus and says, okay, you don't even need to come here, but I believe you, you have the authority and, and, and the capacity. I'm not worthy, Jesus. Some of us think we're doing Jesus a favor by joining his team. Like, oh, yeah, you know, like we're some, you know, NBA athlete, you know, star athlete, you know, and okay, I'll go to, you know, Cleveland because I want him to win a championship. Ha, ha, ha. We're not doing Jesus any favors. He's doing us all the favors. This centurion gets it. He has faith, he embraces Jesus, and he follows him. He says, yeah, you have authority. You say it, and it'll be done, just like I say it, and it'll be done. And in fact, the, the centurion and his, and his servant are, are not the main part of the story. The main part of the story is these other people listening. He's saying, basically, you people, if you want to join the banquet, you got to get on with Jesus. You need to share this same faith. And the story says, Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home. Because you believed, it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Go back home. Because you believed, it's, it's done. So he turns around. He doesn't say, well, you know, sure, Jesus, you know, do you want to just come and check to make sure it worked? Or, you know, no, he just goes, and, and you can imagine, he's, he's walking home, and it just as he gets to the gate, there's the servant coming out of the house. Hey, guess what? <laughs> I can walk. I feel good. I'm, I'm not having to go to the bathroom anymore. I'm, you know, my head is cooled down. I can think. I can see. I, can, I don't think I'm going to die. Like, what, what happened? He says, well, the one man who could make a difference healed you. Because I believe that he could do it. And some of you maybe grew up in church homes and you think, I, I have faith. But, but faith is not growing up in a church home. Faith is not going through religious rituals. Faith is placing your confidence and trust in who Jesus is and what he can do on your behalf. Tony Evans compares it like, like some of us think of faith as like a high jumper, right? But a high jump is it's Olympics, right? High jump is me jumping over the bar, right? Faith is like taking the pole vault. It's grabbing onto the, the pole. So it's not my ability. It's actually the pole that's going to get me over and higher than I could on my own effort and my own ability. Tony Evans said... Faith is only as powerful as the object or being it's placed in. Biblical faith is grabbing hold of that which you cannot see in order to access the authority and activity of the one in whom you placed your faith. The centurion picks up the pole and says, I can't fix the situation, but I think I know someone who can. And he trusts Jesus to be able to, to fix his situation, his problem, his dilemma. 
He acknowledges an authority greater than himself and says, I'm going to come underneath your authority. You just say it and it'll be done. I, I can't do anything here, but Jesus, you could do everything. And that's what we're here to share with you tonight and this whole summer. It's been all about the same theme. Jesus wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your Lord. He invites you to follow him. But a part of that is an authority issue. It's you recognizing that Jesus now is Lord. Look at this guy, twice in this story. He's like, Lord, you know, come, my, my servant's sick. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you in my home. And, I mean, he recognizes who Jesus is. Do you recognize who Jesus is? He is the son of God. He is not your buddy. He is not your, your pal. He's not, you know, just there to drag you out of the ditch. He is the, he's God. But he wants to help you. He wants to, to heal you. He wants to, to bring wholeness to your life. But it comes with you taking that step of faith like this centurion who's just recognized who Jesus is and what he could do. And the whole gospel, this first century document that we've been, been working through with different sermons from different pastors, I mean, these, these writers are basically saying, look, let me show you who Jesus is because he, he, what, he's amazing, he's unparalleled, there's no one like him, and he invites you, he invites you into a relationship with him. But it's not a relationship of equals. He is the Lord, and we join his family, and we follow him, and we surrender to him, and we obey him, and he sets the pathway for us to, and that's where life really begins. Some of you want a savior, you want the forgiveness of your sins, you want to, to feel good and not feel guilty, but Jesus want, invites you into more than that. He wants to take leadership in your life. It's loving leadership. It's this kind of leadership where he says, yeah, you got, a, you got a problem that's insurmountable. I can help you with that. And so for all of us, this is a, just a somber reminder that Jesus is the Lord and he invites us to follow him in full surrender, full submission, and to discover who he is and what he can do. If you haven't made that step tonight, I invite you to, but if you have, then I, I just invite you to evaluate your heart too. Am I surrendered to Jesus or am I still trying to, trying to drive my own car? Am I still, you know, walking down the street, lighting my own firecrackers and, you know, hoping I don't get in trouble? Or am I saying, no, you are who you are. You are who you say you are. You, you can do what you say you can do and I need you, Jesus. Sometimes we get to those low points and we discover Jesus and you don't have to get to the lowest point. Tonight, you can just say, you know what? I've been trying to control my life. It's not working. And Jesus says, yeah, I, I'd love to be a part of your life. Why don't you let me be the, the leader and you be the follower? And, and you'll discover perfect leadership. You see, we don't have any example of perfect leadership in our world, but Jesus is that example. When you follow Jesus, he enables us to experience life on a totally different level. We're grabbing the pole instead of jumping on our own. We're experiencing higher heights and life at a totally different level. And Jesus says, this guy got it. That's what I'm after. People that understand my authority but realize that, that it's loving leadership and I'm, I'm gonna look after you. I will care for you. I can handle whatever you have in your life that seems to be weighing you down. Let me take it. So I point you to Jesus today. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus today but are still making decisions that are incongruent with that, then today Jesus is saying, quit messing around. Quit getting drunk on the weekends sauced out of your head. Quit doing that. Quit taking drugs. Quit vaping. Quit doing whatever it is. Quit looking at pornography. Like, 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 if you're my follower, like, clean up your act because I got so much better for you. Quit that relationship. 
I'm not trying to be moralistic. I'm just saying Jesus has better things in mind than the things that you've been doing. And he has such a plan for you, but, but it means you following him and embracing his leadership in your life. So I invite you to do that tonight, to embrace the leadership of Jesus. The team's gonna come up, prepare to sing the, just a, a closing song here and uh, just like to pray with, with you as we uh, come to the end of our service here. And if you've never received Christ and, and follow as a follow, and follow him, t- tonight could be the night that you could do that. It's a simple step, but it is costly, but it, the benefits far outweigh whatever you have to give up. Let me tell you, Jesus has way better in store for you than anything you could have in store for yourself. And just like he helped this man in his impossible situation, he can help you in your situation. And so I invite you to receive Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, but you've been living just your own life, tonight's the night, okay, reorient and get back on track with Jesus. Do it tonight. Go home, throw out the beer, Burn the porn, do whatever you got to do. You know, delete some things on your computer. Whatever it is, stop that relationship. I mean, you know, the Spirit is convicting you right now. You know if that's you. Get right with God and discover that step of faith. Let's pray. Lord, you know everyone here. You know everyone's here intentionally tonight. I pray you would speak to hearts. I pray that you would guide us to experience Jesus at, at the fullest level possible at a level of faith, saving faith, living faith, active faith. Give us the strength to do the right thing tonight. The courage to step forward and to receive you as our Savior. The courage to say no to sinful habits that have been dragging us down. The courage to follow you in full obedience so that you would receive all the glory. Thank you for this story and for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. These men that have come tonight will probably have to leave pretty soon, but if you want to have a chance to see the, the police cruiser or the fire truck, uh, this last chance now before they leave. I'm telling you, church family, this is what Let's Covenant to do, okay? When you see first responders in our community, let's encourage them, let's thank them. When you see a siren or a light on, let's pray for them, okay? That's what we as a church family will do for our first responders. Let's just keep them in our prayers as they're doing their duty and their service to our community. Let's remember them as we see them out there, all right? If you'd like to continue business with the Lord, you're welcome to stick around. There are people that will pray with you. You can meet them at the table there, talk to any of the pastors here. And we look forward to seeing you on September 5th and its subsequent Sundays after that. Thank you for everyone that's volunteered this summer to make this a reality. This has been a great summer season, and we look forward to just, you know, learning from it and building on it next year. If you have any feedback, please send some emails to the church. We'd love to hear what, what, you, what you think and what any ideas you have. I mean, we're, we're going to be bouncing around some kind of lessons learned from the summer, but just thank you for coming. You can go have some more coffee. We'll bounce, get the bouncy house going, and uh, these men will be here for a few more minutes, but they got to go too, but... Uh, Let's just enjoy the rest of our evening, and we'll see you back here at church on September 5th. God bless you.